Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 13 and verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. I called our message tonight, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. If you grew up uh, singing out of the old red ABA hymnal, I believe that was number seven. Isn't that right, Brother Bill? Number seven? Maybe? I try to think. I don't, I've lost track of my ABA hymnal. I don't know what happened to it. But uh, regardless, it was a good old song. Remember it? Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred hearts is like to that above. Uh, kind of a short song, and, um, but I liked it. Blessed be the tie that binds. And of course in this passage, the tie that binds is our love for one another. Uh, this passage is part of what we call the upper room discourse. Many of Jesus' sermons are recorded for us in the gospel accounts, but this one is particularly significant because of its timing. Jesus was delivering this message uh, just right before uh, the events of his passion as he finished up. Uh, uh, they would go out across the Kidron Valley, and uh, uh, he would then be arrested and, and carried into Caiaphas' hall, and the events of the crucifixion then would play out. Uh, so these last few moments that he had with his disciples were precious times. And it's interesting that what Jesus said stuck so deeply into the minds of those men who heard it. John would talk about it again and again, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we should love or believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave his commandment. 1 John 3 and 11, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 2 John chapter 1 and verse 5, And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. Maybe it was because Jesus repeated that so often in that message that he preached to them in uh, the upper room. John chapter 15, verse 12. It was twice, by the way, in our text. Uh, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Uh, verse 17, John chapter 15. These things I command you, that you love one another. And just before his death, Jesus talked over and over and over again about how important it was for those men to love one another. Now, part of the reason might have been that they were kind of bickering, if you'll remember. In fact, they'd been arguing about which one of them was going to be the greatest, who was going to take over once Jesus was gone. Uh, I mean, uh, not unlike a family arguing over the silver, uh, who's going to get Grandma's silver after she's gone. I mean, these folks were arguing over who was going to be in charge, who was going to be the greatest, who was going to be the leader, and who was going to sit on thrones and who wasn't. It was an awful time for them to have been bickering. But Jesus was speaking to them about their need to love one another. A good dose of loving one another would take care of everything that was wrong. It would prepare them 
for the crisis that was to come. If they would have focused more on their love for Jesus and their love for one another, they might have weathered that storm a bit better. Of course, Simon Peter very famously that night made his boast when Jesus talked about how everybody's going to leave him. He said, Lord, I, I, though everybody else will forsake you, I won't. I'll go with you even unto death. Um, but of course, he was the first one gone. His implication was very strong. Jesus, uh, I can understand why these other guys would leave you. They don't love you like I love you. That was the essence of what he was saying. And that's why Jesus asked him then on, uh, when he met him again after the crucifixion and they met in Galilee and he cooked him supper or cooked him a breakfast on the coals and he asked him, Simon, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these other disciples? That's what he had boasted of. And that was not at all, of course, what Simon Peter was thinking at that moment. Lord, you know I love you. Love was on their mind a lot. And tonight I want to uh, look at this message under three easily seen headings. And the first of that is the instruction. He says, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another instruction. And immediately we see uh, something amazing and profound. It's not a request. It's not an encouragement. Jesus says this is a command, a command. Now let's just try to make ourselves a first century Jewish person raised under the law and raised to keep the Ten Commandments and live by the commandments of God all of your life. These are God's commandments to us. Why do we do this, uh, Daddy? Because God said so. This is God's commandment to us. Keep those commandments. So now their Lord Jesus has given them a commandment. Let's try to understand then the force of that statement. A new commandment I give unto you. He didn't give us a whole bunch when you stop to think about it. A new commandment I give unto you. That you love one another. You know, if, you know in some cultures, even to this day, it's not uncommon for parents to arrange the marriages of their children. In some cultures. Uh, when my kids were growing up and dating, that began to think, I began to think that might be a good idea. Uh, some of the folks. But you know what? Uh, in the end, I was very, very thankful. I'm thankful for all three of my daughters-in-law and all uh, two of my sons-in-laws. Um, but you know, uh, imagine with me for a moment what it would be like. You see a boy maybe that you think would just be just right for your little girl, and maybe you start encouraging her. You know, you ought to pay attention to him. He's a good boy. Maybe you see a girl you think would be just right for your son, so you say to your son, you know, you, you ought to start courting that girl. Ask her out. I always figured if I actually tried to do that, that it would turn out with a, a, a Montague falling for a Capulet. And if you don't understand or remember those names, that's Romeo and Juliet in order, by the way. And, you know, they'd end up uh, in some kind of a wild thing, going completely opposite of what it was that I told If I told them to like that, there'd be no way in the world they'd like that one. If I told them not to like that, that'd be the very one they chose. So... I did a lot of praying. Did y'all do a lot of praying for your kids? Some of you are in that stage right now where you're praying for your kids. If you're not, uh, start. <laughs> Get a head start. 
Uh, well, my, my baby's only three. Get a head start. Start praying. Uh, you can't pray too much uh, for your kids to find a, a good man or a good woman, a good boy, a good girl to marry. See, the amazing thing about love is that you can't really command it. At least not that kind of love. You, you can't command somebody to like somebody else. And you can't command somebody to be friends with somebody else. You can't make people like one another as much as we wish we could. We can't. That feeling that we call affinity, that uh, whatever it is that makes us like everybody. I've remarked many times over the course of my life that I'm glad Jesus did not say a new commandment I give unto you that you like everybody. I'm glad he didn't say that. Hey, don't look at me that way. It's nobody in this building, you know. You know how it is. Uh, some people we like. And some just rub us the wrong way. They say you can uh, uh, choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. But, uh, and that, there's a lot of truth in that. We generally choose people we like that we share interest with in order to be friends with. Uh, the love that is relationship is based to, at least in part on chemistry, that hard, difficult thing to define uh, that goes on between uh, husband and wife in that relationship uh, when they say, I love you. And there's that chemistry between them, the one flesh that Jesus describes. That's not what he's talking about here. It, this is a love that can be commanded. Now, the places where the place, primary place where God's people rub shoulders together and get to know one another, and yes, unfortunately, sometimes when we rub against one another, the sparks fly. And the main place that happens is in church. You know, church is God's idea. He's the one that created it. He's the one that made it. He didn't design us as Christians to live in isolation. He started the church, started one while he was here. And everything we see in the New Testament sees people saved, baptized, added to the church. That's God's plan. And when we get together in church, there are times maybe when we find ourselves kind of struggling. Jesus said we are to love one another. A command that you love one another. We don't have the kind of control over our feelings that would say, well, I'm going to like this person no matter what. We can, however, love someone the way that Jesus tells us to love them. Even if they don't love us back, even if they don't like us, we can love one another because Jesus told us to. He's not going to tell us to do something that it is impossible for us to do with his help. And so when he commands us to love one another, it is possible for us to do that. We need to remind ourselves from time to time that while we define love by how it feels, God defines love by how it behaves, by what it does and what it doesn't do, what, it, what we do and what we don't do. Uh, love then is defined by what it causes us to do and what it keeps us from doing. There's a negative and a positive. I didn't put it on our screen tonight. I just wanted you to listen. This is how God defines love. 
Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. And though I could, <clears throat> uh, though I could bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, I am nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself. Love is not puffed up. It is not easily provoked. Seeketh not her own. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Love never fails. You hear again and again how God says this is how love behaves. This is what love keeps us from doing. Love causes us to be patient and kind. Love keeps us from jealousy, self-seeking, and pride. Love keeps us from public misbehavior and selfishness. Love keeps our temper in check. Love does not plot or plan evil against other people. Love isn't glad when someone else fails or falls into sin, but rejoiceth when the truth of Christ is proclaimed and lived out. Loving others means that we bear all things. We put up with things. It means we believe them, believe people, and believe in them. It means that we never lose hope. We endure whatever's thrown at us. Most of all, that we continue loving them that way. Jesus gave us an example of this kind of love in a practical way in the Sermon on the Mount. And I do have these passages for you, and you can follow along as I read them. It's a lengthy reading, but it's worthwhile. Verse 38, you have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do you not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so be you therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Folks, these are some of the most challenging passages of Scripture in the New Testament for us to live out consistently. When Jesus tells us to love the way I love you, to love as your Father loves, He gives us some powerful instruction. Somebody who slaps your face. I hadn't been slapped in a long time. If I remember correctly, the last one that did it was my mama, and that's not something I generally forget. Oh. There's a lot of people, though, who might slap us in the face that don't touch us. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Somebody who sues you. 
Someone who wants to borrow from you that you know is dishonorable? Jesus is describing people that we have difficulty with, people we have difficulty getting along with. It's one thing you see to be kind and patient and believing toward people who treat us that way. To be kind and patient, to greet and be friendly toward those who are friendly in return. But it's altogether something else when we're called to be kind to those who are mistreating us, to be friendly to those who are not being friendly to us, to be nice to those who aren't being nice to us, to keep speaking to that person who won't speak to us. It's hard. But God does that us that way all the time. And he calls on us to do the same. Jesus gave them a powerful example in, in his statement concerning the second mile. You see, in Judea, they were under occupation from the Roman government, and a Roman soldier had the legal right to compel a Jewish person or any other person in the occupied territories to carry all of their equipment, their pack, everything they had to carry while they were marching. They could compel somebody uh, to travel one mile. That was the law. And so Jesus said, if they compel you to go one mile with them, go the second mile. Go the second mile. If you've never heard Adrian Rogers' sermon on this called The Miracle Mile, you need to get on Love Worth Finding. That's a sight. Love Worth Finding. He being dead yet speaketh. You can listen to that great sermon he preached on that passage. The Miracle Mile. The second mile, you see, is the mile of blessing. If we're all we're ever doing is what we have to do, God doesn't use that much. It's when we go the second mile that great things begin to happen. The first mile is the mile of obligation, but the second mile is the mile of opportunity. This is the kind of love that Jesus commands us to have for one another. And the place where this is on display is in a local church, most of all. It's here that God commands us to be kind, patient, unselfish, and believing people even with those and especially with those who may not be being kind and patient and unselfish with us. So that's the instruction. It's not hard to understand what he said. It's hard to live up to. A new commandment give unto you that you love one another. And then, of course, there's the illustration. I've already touched on this some, but I, I feel like I need to give it its own place John began this chapter saying, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them until the end. That's Jesus. And so he says, you love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. Remember what Jesus said about loving your enemies? Aren't you glad that Jesus loved you while we were at enmity with God? Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, Jesus loved with the full extent of his love. Remember how he pointed to the way that the sun shines and the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Describes how that God works to bless people who are at enmity with him. I, I've thought a time or twice, I, I must confess, uh, I haven't known very many uh, farmers in my life who didn't believe in God, but I have known one or two of them who didn't. And I've wondered why it was that some good God-fearing Baptist people didn't get a rain and that old atheist guy over there did. I, I, I have to wonder about that, you know. I, it, it seemed like God could give them a good message if it would rain right up to their fence row and then stop. The guy over here would get two inches and he got none. No, 
God makes his sun shine on the just and the unjust, on the believers and unbelievers. Every day, all of this planet, God blesses people that don't believe in him and that curse his name, if they call it at all. So God calls on us to do exactly what he does. And the word, when he says be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect, the word means complete or mature. You see, it is evidence of great spiritual maturity when we're able to be nice to people who aren't being nice to us. To treat people with kindness, maybe who are mistreating us. To speak well of people, maybe who aren't speaking well of us. It is evidence of great maturity. Be perfect, be complete or mature, like your Father in heaven is. Great spiritual maturity is shown when we return evil with good. The easiest thing in the world to do in church these days is to return bad behavior by just removing ourselves from the equation. If somebody treats me badly, go down the road. And if that's not an option, then maybe just treat them badly right back. Well, it's one thing to ask God to bless people that we love and that we like, but do we ever pray for God to bless those that have mistreated us? Do we ask God to help those? You see, a lot of times people are mistreating you or maybe even mistreating me, and really their problem's not with you and their problem's not with me. A lot of times they got a problem with God. And it's just showing up then in the way that they're treating other people. It's a good thing then for us to do, to pray for God to bless them and God to help them. Be kind. The instruction, then the illustration is you love one another as I have loved you. And lastly, then there's the identification. When you do this, Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Jesus did not say that by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you preach really good. He didn't say, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you're great, great singers. He didn't say that we would show that we are disciples of Jesus Christ by how much we use our gifts or talents. In fact, Paul said that even if we could sing, even if we could preach, even if we could speak with the voice of angels... If we don't have love in our heart, we're just sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And anybody who's ever listened to an orchestra knows that a little bit of cymbal goes a long, long way. Our giftedness becomes that way unless we're showing the love of Jesus Christ. So if those things don't identify us as disciples of Christ, what does? The way we love one another. We live today in a disposable culture. And I'm going to confess a few things to you tonight that are absolutely true. Uh, Nancy and I use paper plates and plastic forks a lot. We use them for one reason. You can use the things and throw them away. Don't have to wash them. Red Solo cups are the most used glasses in our cabinet. And by the way, let me say we use them for water, Coca-Cola tea, uh, probably the only thing that comes even close is a coffee cup uh, that we do use. We raised our kids in Pampers and Loves and Huggies, whichever one was on sale. We have the pre-moistened wipes that you use once and throw away. We use them too. We buy our water in bottles. 
Imagine such a thing. Our lives and our landfills are full of the things that we use and throw away. But these days, there are a few things in our life more disposable, more disposable than relationships, friendships. If somebody gets on our nerves, we're done. brought this message to you tonight and to me to remind us all that is not how Jesus taught us to live. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples when you love one another as I have loved you. I believe that God occasionally brings people into our lives and maybe even into our churches that are going to be a challenge. And he knows, he knows coming in that they're going to be a challenge. He knows that. It's not a big surprise. Um, it's easy to say, well, you know, I don't like so-and-so. I'm, I'm not going to go. I, I don't like this one. Well, this one over here, they're not living like they ought to do. They're not talking the way they ought to talk. They wouldn't say the things they say. They just shouldn't be that. A lot of people have given up on the church altogether. If that's what it is, I don't need that. I want to remind you of something tonight. Yes, you do need the church. Jesus wouldn't have given it to us if you didn't need it. And the fact that you're going to rub shoulders with people and maybe sit in the pew with people and be around people and interact with people that you don't see eye to eye with and maybe they don't share your opinions and sometimes they're not always nice and none of us are nice all the time. I very seldom ever left my mother's house that she didn't tell me, be nice. I always wanted to say, what do you, God, my mama knew me well. <laughs> I always needed that encouragement. Y'all do too. We all do. We're not always nice. We're not always in good moods. We don't always say things the way they ought to be said. Sometimes we say foolish things that shouldn't have never been said. James warned us this thing in here is a fire. And not just any kind of fire, it's set on hellfire. It, it, it burns with hellfire. It can do a lot of good. I'm talking about the tongue. It can do a lot of good. But oh, it can do a lot of harm. But Jesus calls on us to keep loving. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And the measure of our maturity in many ways is found in our ability to love people that we don't maybe get along with all that well. But we keep being nice. We keep being kind. We keep believing in them. We keep praying for them. We don't wipe them out of our life. If God's love is only able to enable us to love the people that we like and get along with, then God's love is no greater than the love found in the biggest criminal in the United States. I didn't make that up. 
Jesus said that. He said, if you love them that love you, hey, don't even the publicans, not Republicans, the publicans <laughs> do the same thing. Yeah. If all we do is, is love those that love us, if we're only friends with those who are friends to us, if we're only kind to those who are kind to us, if we only get along with those that we like, if we only really have a good relationship with all the people that we like, then we're no better than the publicans. And that's what Jesus said. The worst sinners in America can do that. Go in any prison in this country. You'll find it full of people who have friends, strong friends, that they get along with. Jesus called us to more. And this is more than anything else, according to him, what identifies us as being his followers. I want you to pray for me. I'm going to pray for you. I want our church to be a place constantly, constantly. I want us to be a place where people can experience the love of Jesus Christ. We're friendly to people, and I think we're doing good at that. I hear a lot of visitors say, you know, the church is very friendly. I felt very welcome. And that means that we're doing a good job on the initial part of fulfilling this command. We're showing people that we care about them. We're glad they're here. We're initially being friendly. We're being welcoming. Believe you me, folk, there are a lot of churches who never get past that first step. But Jesus called us to more. You understand? He called us to love one another the way that I've loved you. And I just want to ask you tonight, let, let's think about that. Think about the ways that we can get to know each other better. Think about the ways that we can show love to one another. Think about that person that maybe you don't just know very well. Let's reach out to them. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Maybe tonight you're still kind of struggling with the love of Jesus Christ. And I understand if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you really don't know about his love. This is a love that comes to us as a spiritual gift to us. Uh, now abideth, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love is a spiritual gift that God places in us when he saves us. It is an incredible gift. If you haven't been saved, you don't have it. I encourage you tonight, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, to receive him. Jesus left the glory of heaven, died on the cruel cross so that you could have everlasting life. And he gives you a simple uh, plan. Whosoever believeth in me should not perish but have everlasting life. Maybe you've been saved but you haven't followed the Lord in baptism. Uh, maybe you need a church home. You believe God's leading you to be a part of this church family. Whatever's on your heart. As we stand together and sing, this will be a time for you to respond to God's invitation in your life.